0: we exist to see god glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel
1: good morning our scripture reading for today is from second corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18 that is again second corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18, and one more time, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, All right, Emmaus,
0: good morning. Uh, As always, it's a joy, uh, utter joy to be with you all. Hey, by way of announcements, I only have one, and you've probably already heard it. It's that we are going to two services. Uh, That's the only thing I have for you, so just just a couple of logistics for you. Um, We're going to do that on the 10th, on November 10th, but the week before that, we have an alternative uh, service time at 9 And it's basically just God's grace at a practice run for us on what it's going to look like for an early service. There won't be two services that week, but on the 10th, we'll be going to two services. And on that topic of two services, I just want to share with you something that I shared with the other pastors and to some of the staff as well. And that's this. It's a piece of advice that someone gave me on my wedding day. And yes, it applies somehow to two services. On my wedding day, the morning of, someone told me, that the day is going to go by in a blink of an eye, right? And if you've been married, you know that's true. You, you, you go from getting ready for one of the most important days of your life to the whole thing being over like that. And they told me that, that in, in the midst of all of the chaos of my wedding day, that me and my wife, that about every 30 to 45 minutes, we should just stop, take a breath, look around, and see God's grace. See how crazy it is that there are actually people here who love us enough to, to give us a Sunday night, because we got married on a Sunday night because it was way cheaper than a Friday night. Think about how crazy it is that I actually found someone who's willing to marry me and just soak that in. And think about how crazy it is, that the, how, how good God is in that moment. And, and though uh, moving to two services not nearly as heavy or as much gravitas as your wedding day, there's still something similar there, and it's this. It's going to be a little bit chaotic. Right and we have planned and we have prayed and we have prepared but there's still going to be some hiccups right there's still going to be some some learning curve along the way and amongst all the chaos my challenge to us is to do this every once in a while just look around and breathe and see that God is good to us see that in this transition this transition is nothing other than evidence of his grace and kindness towards us. He is up to something at Emmaus Church, and we get the benefit of being a part of it. So in the midst of us figuring out kids' ministry and the lobby being extra crowded as two, tra- two services transition past one another, in the midst of all of the things that we have yet to even see that will likely be problems, just hear this. This is gonna be fun. I'm excited for it. Your pastors are excited for it. And we are thankful for each, to the Lord for each of you. So let's enjoy the transition to two services. All right, with that being said, that's my only announcement. Let's jump in. So I want to start our morning off by reading a well-known prayer. This prayer is older than our country, and it has stood the test of times. Christians have prayed this particular prayer over and over and over again, and I have actually built it into my prayer routine to to pray this uh, about once a month. I want to read this prayer this morning to start our time because it captures the essence of our difficult but beautiful passage this morning. The prayer reads like this. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of the vision. O Lord, let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, and thy glory in my valley. This Puritan prayer gets at an essential theme in the Christian life, and that theme is that of weakness. This is the uncomfortable but glorious theme of our particular text today. Weakness. Your and I's weakness. And because few people enjoy embarking on a journey in which they don't know where they're going, let me give you a bit of a roadmap for for where we're going to be spending our time today. So if you're a note taker, here you go. My thesis is this. Weakness is the way for the Christian life as God reveals his power in bringing about the great through that which is weak. Let me read that again. Weakness is the way for the Christian life as God reveals his power in bringing about the great through that which is weak. That's what we're going after this morning. Here's how we're going to get there. Verses 7 through 12, Paul is going to explain uh, what I'm calling the paradoxical paradoxical power and pain of Christian suffering and weakness. Paul explains the paradoxical pain and power of Christian suffering and weakness. That's verse 7 through 12. Verse 13 through 15, Paul looks to the resurrection as the answer to all of his ails. He looks to the resurrection as the answer to all of his ails. And finally, verse 16 through 18, Paul reflects on a resurrected-shaped suffering and weakness. So let's pray, and we will jump into our text. God, you are good, and you are good to us. We recognize this morning that, that we truly are weak, and you are strong. We are feeble, and you are steadfast. We are frail, but you are the fullness of might. We pray this morning for the eyes to see the glory of you in our weakness. We pray, God, against our tendency to cover our weakness by self raw and futile strength. God, I pray that we become a people that boast in our weakness, as through it you are seen as mighty. Be with us today. Be with us in the hearing of your word, Lord. Enlighten our hearts. Calm, calm our anxieties. inflame our affections. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So not only is weakness the theme of our particular passage this morning, it is an important reality to keep in mind to understand this section of the letter of of 2 Corinthians that we're in. Remember, the Bible is not a collection of randomly assorted stories and moralistic virtues that have little to do with one another. No, it is a story. It's a progressing story. It has a plot. It has a climax and a conclusion and a cast. And in this drama of Scripture, the context is, Is very important as we analyze meaning. So a good Bible reading question that we repeat often here is to ask, what does my current portion of Scripture have to do with the section before and the section after? What does it have to do with what came before and what's about to come? So the question then for us is, why is Paul talking about weakness here so much? Why is he talking about weakness What does weakness have to do with what became before and what comes after? And we saw last week that he is talking about weakness because he's defending his apostleship, right? There there are, as we heard in the past weeks, there are people who have come into the church at Corinth and they're trying to convince the Corinthian believers to stop following Paul and to follow them. And it seems by, by virtue of his letters that they might be successful in convincing the Corinthian believers to stop following Paul and to follow them. Well, how are they doing that? They're doing it via elegance. They're coming with an elegant word, an elegant message. That They're coming with letters of recommendation. They're coming with all of the recommended and accredited and what looks to be successful accolades to bring the gospel. And they're saying, what does he have? What, what does Paul have? Don't follow him, follow us. And remember, they're speaking to a very self-centered culture. And so a message that looks elegant and sounds elegant is going to be successful in their particular context. And so Paul is saying he's refuting this foundation of appearing successful, appearing strong by saying no. The true Christian message and the true Christian messenger is that of weakness not strength. It's not coming with letters of recommendation uh, written by another man. It's coming by letters of conversion written on your heart. It's not uh, accolades. It's frailty. So, So why he's talking about weakness in our particular context is the defense of his own apostleship amongst the church in Corinth. That's where we're at. So the context to all of this is weakness to all of it, and it doesn't stop here. At the first reading, I thought my particular passage was the climax of his weak argument, but he keeps going. He's going to keep talking about weakness uh, throughout this letter. He argues that the Christian way is a way of weakness. So let's read verse 7 through 12 as Paul begins to explain the paradoxical power of Christian weakness. This is 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. He starts, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is a great sentence. The treasure Paul refers to here, we can see in the sentence above. Just go one sentence above that. Let, the, let, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that's the treasure. The light of the knowledge of God which is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Right, So we can say then that the treasure that's put in a jar of clay is nothing other than the gospel. Okay the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So God takes this particular treasure and he puts it in a jar of clay. So what's happening here is actually pretty remarkable. For the message that we call the gospel, the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the is is the kind of news that can make the blind see and the dead raise. Okay, the most powerful news that has ever been proclaimed in a non even hyperbolic way in all of human history. It's the most powerful news ever proclaimed. And what does God do with it? The most counterintuitive thing he could do with it. He put it in a jar of clay. He entrusts us with it. This isn't even in my notes, but as we were singing, I even thought about I was thinking about that phrase, just like jar, jar of clay, and thinking of me as being this weak vessel, jar of clay. It's always dangerous when I do this. I'm now away from my notes, so none of this is on record. That's, not how, that's how how this works. But I was thinking about even what do we do with treasure? Right? If I was to give you a treasure, okay? If I was to give you the sorcerer's stone for you <laughs> Harry Potter nerds. Uh, it's fall, so I'm thinking Harry Potter already. Uh, what, what, would you do with tre- what would you do with the treasure, Right? We in our human tendencies, what do we do with treasure? Well, we hide it. We put it in a safe. We lock it up because we don't want anyone to see it or to touch it. And what does God do with the greatest treasure in human history, the gospel? He puts it in a clay pot. This is so like him. Right? When he sets out to save the world, well, how has he come? He comes as a fragile baby who needs his mother to feed and bathe him. When he wants to spread that life-saving news, what does he do? He entrusts us, frail clay pots, who are surely going to mess it up. This is like our God. So you have this treasure, the glory of God in the gospel, a message powerful enough to change human history inside of you as you are the clay pot. Listen, if a clay jar or clay pot falls off a nightstand, it will surely shatter. It chips with ease. It cracks when it's overheated. In almost every measurable way, clay, pots, and jars are weak. But he does this to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not us. This is grand because if you think about the history of the church, you can see this, can't you? Your story, my story, the story of our Christian family tree is is something like this. God entrusts clay pots with the treasure of the gospel so that they can show other clay pots the treasure of that gospel. And those clay pots, through frailty and fickleness, show other clay pots the treasure of the gospel. And what happens is century after century after century, clay pot to clay pot to clay pot to clay pot to kingdom come. That's the story of the church. One weak messenger to one weak messenger to one weak messenger to you as a weak messenger, and you must take the the, the message, the powerful gospel on. And the amazing thing about Christianity, when you think about that, is that it's even still here. It's still going. God has in His power, through weak clay jars, Reconquered the world to himself, every generation. He's done it through weak vessels like us. Right, I think back on moments when I shared the gospel with others and I stumbled through it. I wasn't quite exactly sure what atonement meant. I probably messed some things up. I got the word orders wrong. And listen, people have been saved because of that. It's crazy. Through my bumbling and stumbling and your fumbling over all of these words and your fickleness and your frailty and the cracks in your clay pot, the treasure, the light, the illumination of the gospel actually goes forward in a way that he's reconquered the world to himself every generation. And the church is still here. And listen, he's promised to do it till kingdom come. This is remarkable. He does this to demonstrate that the power is not in the messenger of God, but in the God of the message. Paul then demonstrates that though we are weak, the power of God will keep us steadfast. He does this by using five uh, paradoxes or antitheses, and there's so much comfort for us to dwell on here. Just look at the text here, and just just hear me, hear me say these things and interpret them as promises to you. He says this. You may feel in this life as a clay pot, afflicted, but you will never be crushed. Perplexed, but you will never be driven to despair. Persecuted, but you will never be forsaken. Struck down, but you will never be destroyed. Friends, the beauty of the Christian life is not that you will never feel afflicted or perplexed or persecuted or struck down. The beauty of the Christian life is that God is good to us and faithful to us in the midst of those things. And as we will see later in our text, in the midst of all those things, he's preparing something in us. God's design to display his power through a weak vessel doesn't mean he will let the clay jars break. No, as the great sustainer, he will keep us and be steadfast. Then Paul declares the purpose for these things, right? We just saw this. That the purpose is that the light of the gospel may shine through the cracks of your weak clay jar. He says, look at this, he says in the text, so we, we always carry the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Our weakness has a and is that others may see the grandeur of God. Our weakness declares the death of Jesus so our lives proclaim his life. Verses 13 through 15. Paul now looks at the resurrection as the answer to all of his ails. Read it with me. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The text text kind of takes a hard turn here, doesn't it? And it's an important turn. It's one that we cannot afford to miss. For though there is beauty in our weakness, the gospel wouldn't be good news if it meant we were only and continually weak. Rather, Paul looks to the resurrection as the answer to all of his ails, including weakness. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Our passage today, this whole, this whole section of scripture, it helps us identify as reality about ourselves, right? And if you're self-aware, none of them are a surprise to you. If you know yourself at all, you know you walked in here weak. right? You know that you are afflicted. You know that you are often perplexed, even persecuted, and even struck down. You are already likely aware that you are feeble. But hear me, Christian, this will not be your story forever, for resurrection is coming. There is an end to your feebleness. There is an end to your doubts. There will be an end to your sorrow. There will be an end to your lust. There will be an end to your discontentment. And there will be an end to all evil, including the evil that lurks inside of you. A theologian that I love and adore once said this just great and pithy phrase. He said, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection won't fix. And friends, here we, we, we often talk about the humble form that Jesus took in the incarnation. And we should, Right? We should talk about the incarnation. We should be an incarnationally bent kind of church in such that we are leaving our place of comfort and moving into the mess of others to seek their good. We should be those kinds of Christians. However, the amazement we have at the humility in Jesus' first coming will one day be drowned out by the splendor of his second coming. And as much as we are an incarnational people, we must, must, must be a resurrection, people. While we read of Jesus' coming in humility in Luke 2, as a helpless infant lying in a manger during his first coming, just listen to this. Listen to how Revelation describes his second coming. I'm just going to read it for you. You ready? Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. This is far away from an infant in a manger. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe that is dripped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven... Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, they're following him on a white horse. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He came in humility once, but he's coming again in power. The weak and fragile infant we find in the manger in Luke 2, we find riding a heavenly horse with a sword coming out of his mouth to judge the living and the dead. So why does that matter for you? I'll tell you why. It matters for you because you're united to him. You're united to that one who's coming with a sword out of his mouth in a robe dripped in blood. You're united to him. As we see the history, history-changing drama of Jesus unfold, what we see is a progression from weakness to power and what we're watching in that progression is nothing other than our story. By the grace of God and our union with Christ, you too will be resurrected. You too will move from weakness to power. The Bible even goes so far as to say that you will be a co-heir with Christ. Isn't that crazy? That's your story. From clay pot to co-heir. That's, the, that's, the, that's a, the story of the Christian. That's your story. From a cracked clay pot to a co-heir with Christ over all of the cosmos. That's your story, Christian. Weakness will not have the final word. The Christian movement is a movement from weakness to glory, from down to up. And we know that the way up is the way down. To be made great, we must first be made low. To truly live, we must first die. But resurrection will have the final word for us. God brings about that which is spectacularly great through that which is weak. And don't miss Paul repeat this pattern that he did in the first section either. There's a purpose for all of this. And just like the first section, his weakness and treasure in a clay pot is that others may hear the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And in this, he says the same, a similar refrain, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So I hope to catch in all of that. All of your weakness, all of your clay jarness, all of your fragility, all of your cracks, all of your suffering as we will see is meant to do two things. One, prepare something in you that's eternal. And two, be the avenue in which others see the goodness and grace of of our God. Friends, there is a missional reality to your weakness. And therefore, we must embrace it. Our our final point, final section, verse 16 through 18, let's read it. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not To the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I wish that we could spend all of our time in this particular passage. It is, in this particular few verses, it's glorious. But we need to have the the concept of resurrection in our minds before we read this passage. Because I'm fearful that many have used this passage as, as some kind of disingenuous counseling mechanism, right? So when someone comes to you with an issue, your your trump card is, hey, hey, don't worry. It's preparing for you to turn away to glory. Don't worry. And hear me, friends, that's not how this passage reads. That's not it. We know that our story is an unfolding narrative of weakness to resurrected glory, yes, and so that we can say in verse 16, we do not lose heart. We know that we are weak now and our weakness may grow even day after day as our outer selves waste away, but we take heart knowing that God is using our weakness to demonstrate his power and he's moving it all towards a resurrection culmination. So when Paul says then, the once perplexing and comforting statements, all of this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. It isn't disingenuous counseling technique. It's the most real thing you can imagine. The the encouragement here is not, hey, hey, don't worry. It's all gonna go away one day. The the encouragement is not, hey, 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 just hang in there. Uh, All all things heal with time. The the, the encouragement is not, "You'll, you'll get through this, buddy. No, the encouragement is way better than all that nonsense. The encouragement is, he's actually using it. All of the suffering you feel It's not just going to go away with time. It might never do that. And listen, even if it doesn't, even if that thorn in your side persists until your grave is preparing something in you. That's the good news. The good news is that it might go away with time. That's not good news. The good news is that it has purpose. So we don't read this as if Paul is making light of our suffering because hear me, Emmaus, I know your suffering. I know it. I don't know it for all of you, but for many of you, I know the name of your sorrow. And many of you know the name of my sorrow. We walk in here with heaviness, don't we? Strained relationships, miscarried children, abuse, crippling doubt, persecution, chronic pain, death of loved ones, unsaved family members, all of it. He is using all of it and he is turning those momentary yet real pains into an eternal weight. So to make sure I haven't miscommunicated, let me just say, Emmaus, your pain is valid and your feelings are valid and your suffering is real. But we do not lose heart because we know that in the midst of our light and momentary afflictions, he is preparing an eternal weight of glory. So then we look not to what is seen but to what is unseen. Namely, Christ and his coming resurrection in which all sad things will be made untrue as we finally see our Savior face to face. So as we leave here this morning, I have two very simple pastoral charges for you. First is embrace your weakness. Embrace it. Right? God could have used anything he wanted to spread the knowledge of his gospel. You know that, right? He controls matter and time and all of it. If he wanted to, God could have made the clouds. Think about how awesome this would have been. He could have made the clouds spell out the gospel in every language. He could have done that. Or or think about, he could have made the birds every morning, he could have made them sing the gospel in, in harmony. He could have done that. He could have made the waves crash on the shore to the music of the gospel or the trees pour forth speech, but instead he put them in clay jars. That, in all of his infinite wisdom and might, that is what he chose to do. And so we embrace our role as the clay jar. Not pretending to be strong. We're made of clay, friends. Like, who are you going to fool? And the gospel ends up looking small if you end up looking strong. You realize that, right? We're clay pots, so we embrace it. Your role here is not to be God. Your role here is to be a faithful clay pot. Here's just an encouraging, I think this is an encouraging little quote from uh, John Piper. He said, your ordinary ordinariness is not a liability, it's an asset. It's okay just to be ordinary. It's okay to feel weak and fragile and frail. And guess what? You should feel that way. Otherwise, you're lying to yourself. And if you feel that way, you're in good company because we all do. And God's going to use us anyway. That's the good news of the gospel. Second, so the first is embrace your weakness. The second is look to the resurrection. There is no looking to the resurrection too much. Know that your story is bound up in Christ's. And His movement from weakness to glory, that's your movement. You're united to Him. You go where He goes. His movement from weakness to glory is your story. You will share in a resurrection like His, provided that you share in a death like His. So die to yourself and unite yourself by faith to Christ. Emmaus, we are weak, and praise God. We are frail, and praise God. He is faithful to use what is weak and frail to bring about power. So don't lose heart. Embrace your weakness. Look to the resurrection. Look to what is unseen, and be a faithful clay jar. Let's pray. God, you are tremendously good, and we we do confess, Lord, that often we wonder why you entrusted us with a message like the gospel. Lord, I I know theologically that you you know all and and you are all wise, but but I must confess that it often feels like a mistake to have trusted a man like me. So, God, I pray that you help me, even myself, just. Help me actually believe that weakness is the way. God, the danger for us as a church is that we have a lot of really competent people in this room. Whether that's business or parenting or or, or theology or pastoring, there's competent people in this room who appear in a worldly standard to be strong. God, may you crush our tendency to trust in our own strength. May we love our weakness. May we even boast in it. In so much as we're boasting in your strength in us. Lord, the power is in you. The power is in the God of the messenger, of the message, not the strength of the messenger. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the kind of heart, the kind of posture that would trust you in all of our frailty. Lord, don't don't let us put up fronts as if we're strong, but let us just rest and fall full-weighted into you. We love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Even as I was thinking about um, this particular sermon, I was actually getting excited about communion because there's 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 a connection, hopefully, in all of our sermons to communion. And the connection in this particular, uh, this particular sermon is that your movement from a clay pot to a co-air, from that which breaks easy and has an outer body that's wasting away, is trust in the broken body of Jesus. And so as you as you have uh, a clay pot body that's ten, that has tendencies to break, let those breaks and fractures and chips be a reminder for you that there has been a broken body that takes care of all of your cracks and breaks and chips. And as we come to the table today, may we commune with Christ and remember that he has indeed broken his body for us. And may we, may we commune with him in the present and look forward to the day in which he will take our broken clay pot and make us a co-heir with him over the cosmos. That's what we're doing when they come to the table. No less than that. So if you're a believer, we invite you to come. If you're a non-believer, here's what we invite you to do. Don't come and take bread and Jesus. Stay there and take Jesus. This is not going to save you, but he will. Watch us as we proclaim that we are weak and admitting our weakness by going something stronger, a testimony of a broken body and spilt blood. That's what we're doing when we come to this table. Watch us proclaim our weakness and then ask anyone who parades down here and back to their seat what they, what you can do to get in on this. So if you're a believer, I invite you to come down this side, take from one of the three tables and go back up. as we love you. We are so thankful for you. Come and take Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.